What's up? It's Sean Bischoff, General Manager for Triumph, and this is episode two of Together. Today we have a very special guest, but before we get into the show, I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, first, I want to shout out uh, all the different formats where you can actually catch the podcast. Uh, we are, of course, live on YouTube, live on Twitch every Tuesday. Um, but if you're more of a listener, we actually this week finally got approved and moved through to Spotify as well as iTunes. So if you're the type of person like I am that prefers to actually just listen to podcasts instead of watching them, uh, check us out on iTunes. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on whatever format it is that you like to watch the podcast. Make your life a little bit easier. Uh, the other thing I want to say before we start today is I want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of Triumph sponsors. I want to talk about Advanced GG and uh, Respawn Products. These guys have been working with us closely in the last couple of months with our teams, and they've made my life a lot easier. So I want you guys to give them a little bit of love. I will put some links down in the description below. Uh, right now, we do have discount codes with Advanced GG and uh, Respawn to get a little chunk of change off when you order products from them. So make sure to check them out if you need a chair or if you need some energy supplements. Uh, those are the brands I go for. So uh, just giving them a little bit of love, thanking them for their support for us recently. Um, but without further ado, let's get into the show. Uh, our guest today, as you guys already know, is uh, a man whose name is ubiquitous in the Call of Duty community, uh, Doug Martin, otherwise known as Sensor. Uh, he has been a professional player for like 10 years. Um, he's also a professional bodybuilder, if you didn't know. And uh, <laughs> I'm very happy to have him on this episode. Uh, so I'm not going to waste a lot of your time. I know you want to see the man. Let's get into it. Uh, Doug, what's up, man? What's up, Sean? Thanks for having me, bro. How are you today, dude? I'm great. I just crushed like a 20-minute leg workout. I, I think I did 100 squats, 100 calf raises, 100 quad extensions, and 100 hamstring curls in the span of like 12 minutes. So my legs are like <laughs> shot right now. I sprinted to get back home in time because when I texted you about an hour ago, I was just about to leave for the gym and I was like, he wants to do this at 11. I screwed him over yesterday. I got to be there exactly at 11 o'clock. So I, I texted you confirming saying, hey, 11 o'clock. You're like, yep. I was like, Whoosh. I started sprinting <laughs> out the door, dude. So I feel great. I'm ready to get this Sunday started and I'm uh, I'm excited to be here right now. I'm, I'm happy to be on this podcast and I love talking COD and uh, I'm, I'm down to talk anything. Yeah, man. Well, look, I, I'm really, uh, I appreciate your time today, man. I know you're a busy guy, obviously. I mean, dude, I don't, I don't even know half the stuff you just said. I, 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 I don't think I've done any of that shit. So uh, I'm happy to have you on and I'm glad you could take like an hour of, out of your time. Uh, you got a busy schedule. Um, man, you're already inspiring people. Look at that, dude. You wake up early, you go hit the gym, man. That's, uh, that's something <laughs> I don't think a lot of listeners are doing, dude. You have to, man. Um, you got to start your day off right. You got to get your mind right for the day and, and you got to maximize every moment you get because, you know, life moves fast. Things are moving faster with technology. You just got to be on top of things. I respect that, dude. Well, yeah, I did want to talk COD today, if you, if you don't mind. Um, you know, for people that don't know you, even though I'm sure nobody that's watching this podcast doesn't know who you are, you've been a professional COD player for how many years? I think like nine, ten. Uh, I first turned pro technically in 2011. So now we're in 2020 and I didn't play pro for three years because of vlogging. So I guess you could say that I've technically been a pro for like five or six years, but I've been around the scene since 2009, really when I started playing call of duty, I started competing in tournaments in uh, early 2011 and I never, never really lost the passion for playing or competing kind of things just went in a different way for me. So, uh, but even when I started doing vlogs every day and making content, I would still religiously watch Twitch streams of players competing and scrimming and tournaments and everything. So I've been really strongly affiliated with this scene ever since 2011. Yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, I think you pretty much run the gamut of everything that you can do in the COD community, um, which is why I want to talk to you a lot about your opinions, because there's obviously been a lot of changes in the last year or two, for sure. Um, you know, back when you went pro, I mean, the scene was a lot smaller. I mean, esports in 2011 was like nowhere near where it is now. I mean, how? just in your opinion in general, since 2011, like, how have you seen, like, what are ways that you've seen the, the, the COD community grow? Like, how much different is it now than it was in 2011? Well, I just remember in 2011, StarCraft, you had StarCraft, you had Halo, and you had Call of Duty at MLG events. And StarCraft was by and large the, the most popular esport back then. And you don't even hear, I don't even know if StarCraft is even around anymore. And it was by far the most popular one. You would go to a Call of Duty tournament, there might be like 50 people in the crowd, if that, if you're lucky. Wow. And StarCraft just had rows and rows and rows and just completely filled out venues for their events. Halo was a little bit smaller than Call of Duty at the time as well. When mm -hmm. I won the national championship, there might have been like 75 people watching live. 
And, you know, yeah, we went, we went really far from then. And, and to validate that championship, you know, back then there was no money and I was very fortunate to be in high school. Um, and even then I made a lot of sacrifice for the game. I, my grades dipped from like mid nineties. I was a very good student and very on time, never missed a day of class. And then I started missing school a lot. Uh, my grades, my grades dipped. I was really involved with basketball and football, never got to play because I tried to be on the football team and play competitive call of duty. I tried to keep it a secret. It was tough, but I was really fortunate to be able to win the national championship when I was a senior and set myself up for college moving forward the next year. Because, you know, even this year with the challenger scene, you know, with your team as well, these guys put in so many hours every single day they won the biggest tournament of the year. And and luckily for them, they were able to make $10,000 and get a couple of thousand a month or so for salaries. But even back then, man, no salaries and to play all day, eight hours a day to make $12,000 in the tournament was really tough. But fortunately for me to be able to have that opportunity to not only win it and to make that money, it also gave me a chance to do something after missing out on so many opportunities throughout high school with sports and education. Um, well, I just feel really grateful to be in this position today because I know if I could replay that situation a million times over, I'd be lucky if it happened again once. So I'm just really fortunate to be able to have this opportunity now. Yeah, it definitely feels magical. I, I can only imagine what it, what it feels like to be a player back in 2011 winning championships when esports wasn't really established the way it is now. Uh, you know, skipping school to, to play like, uh, I don't know, like <laughs> kill races or something. <laughs> um, were your parents like always cool with it or did you have to kind of hide your gaming uh, efforts from them for a while? So my mom, my, my mom and my dad were divorced. So my mom was my primary okay. caretaker and I lived with her. So she was really a pushover and I used to be able to take advantage. So for <laughs> example, I would play Call of Duty until one, two o'clock in the morning and she would know that and I would try to be quiet, but I was too loud regardless because I, you know, I had a headset on and I, you know, you talk loud. So the next morning when I'd wake up for school, I would intentionally sleep in because I was so tired. And she would wake me up at like 5.30. She'd be like, knocking on my door, Douglas, it's time for school. And I'll be like, <coughs> mom, I don't feel so good. <coughs> and she'll start you know, pressing me. And then I'll just keep fighting back and just keep telling her I didn't feel so good. And I would miss school because of it. So uh, she, she definitely didn't like that. But once she allowed me to start going to tournaments when I was 16 years old, and she saw me doing pretty well in them, making a couple hundred dollars from them, uh, she really she really started respecting more. Once I won the national championship, it changed everything, though, because to be able to walk home from Rhode Island with a, a $50,000 check in my hands and being able to take 12500 of that, um, and also going away to college, too, well, you know, commuting to college, being able to support myself with that money to be able to pay for my car, to be able to pay for my protein for the gym. I started to get a job at the gym and I worked there. So be, the fact that I was able to have a job, have a couple of dollars in my bank account for school and also go to college full time, she never really gave me a problem and she never really questioned my moves because she knew that at the end of the day, whether I was playing Call of Duty, she knew that I was still going to be going to school. She knew I was still going to be getting a job. It wasn't just Call of Duty or nothing. Um, obviously, at 18 years old and not coming from a wealthy family or anything, I had to support myself in some way. So as long as I was taking care of other things like the job and going to school, she didn't have a problem with it. She was okay as time moved on as well because I decided to take time off of school and college, but I still continued working at my job and I still continued pursuing Call of Duty. And it really just started to spiral for me in a great direction after a couple of months. I mean, I stopped working. I stopped going to school in December and I think by I think I had like 200,000 subs on YouTube by that September. By that next year, I was almost at a million. So, um, you know, being able to have that rapid success and being able to move out, being able to get an apartment. My mom quickly saw as I was 20, 21, 22, like, all right, this kid's got a good head on his shoulders. He's going to figure his life out. Um, but yeah, I was really fortunate also to have parents that were really loose with me because if it was me as a parent and I saw myself as a kid, I would not have allowed myself to play Call of Duty as late into the night as I did. I would not have yeah. allowed myself to let the grades dip the way that they did. I would have stayed on top of it as a parent. Um, but I, I don't know. I was just really fortunate because I was able to wake myself up, snap myself out of things, and stay on a good path and stay away from distractions. I don't think a lot of other kids would be able to do something like that. But um, I'm just a really persistent person, and I'm just really strong-minded on, on what I want in life. So um, I just I just got super lucky, honestly. But like I said, if you replay that a million times over, it wouldn't even happen once. I just very fortunate, lucky timing, right place, right time, and putting in a lot of work to get where I am right now. But definitely education comes first. If you if you want to pursue esports now, because there's a lot of people out there trying to become professional streamers or gamers or in the CDL or whatever the leagues are, you have to stay on top of your education because nothing in this business is guaranteed. I promise you that. 
Yeah, man. I, I think it's really interesting. Like uh, players that have been around like you, you know, you obviously have built a very, very successful career. You're one of the most successful professional gamers, I would say, in terms of like how long you've been successful. And, and when you started 10 years ago, 10 years ago, dude, I, I think like if if my parents, if I try to tell my parents, of course, 10 years ago, I'm old, Doug. So 10 years ago, I was, I was already out of my parents' house. But I think in general, 10 years ago, if you're a kid and you want to play games professionally or even just like you want to play it as a main hobby or a passion, most parents were just not digging it, man. So for you to have a mom that was like down for you to do what you love to do, that's really, really special, man. Like, dude, when we I, were growing up, Sean, we're, it was frowned upon, man. You yeah. Know? Like, if you were a gamer, you were like, what? Like, why are you a gamer, dude? Like, I was so embarrassed, man. Like, dude, if, if I won the national championship in $50,000, I should be going around school and like getting all the hot chicks and everyone should be like you know, <laughs> praising me for it. No, like, nobody knew. Like, this was like yeah. my deepest, darkest secret. I didn't tell a soul. Yeah. You know? It was crazy. Matter of fact, I had, you know, in school suspension, I had that one time because I missed class because I was sleeping and I was the only kid in ISS and my math teacher was the ISS teacher watching me for eight hours that day. And she's like, you know, Doug, you're such a good kid and I know you're smart. So like, what's up? Why are you sleeping in class? Like, what's going on? Like, what, what's this distraction? You, I could clearly tell there's something in your life that's distracting you, but yeah. I can see how sharp you are, but you're not applying yourself. So I told my math teacher that I won and she said, we got to put this on the TV in the morning. We got to tell everyone in the school. I was like, no, no, I forgot her name. But I was like, no, Mrs. X, like, no, 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 no. Don't tell anyone, please. I can't let people know. I'm going to be so embarrassed. Like, that's what culture was like 10 years ago. Like, you couldn't tell people you were a pro gamer because if you did, they would laugh at you. And I feel like now it's really cool to be a pro gamer. And it's actually what everyone wants to be. Yeah, it's crazy how life's changed, right? Like, I, I would say probably at that time with with your teacher, like, it was probably nerdy to try to be a pro gamer, especially for someone like you who was like an athlete. Like, it's probably like that's like the opposite of what you want people to know about you. But um, would you say that like even then and I don't want to sit and dwell about 2011 or 2010 too much, but like even back then, did you realize like where gaming was going to go or were you just doing it because you really love to compete in it? Like, did you have any idea? Because I didn't have any idea 10 years ago that we would be here today. No, I was just so focused on being the best player. Honestly, nothing else mattered to me. I just cared about being number one. I wanted to be number one in the world. And I thought being ranked on the public leaderboards was being number one. So I said, okay, what do I need to do to do that? So I started to do it. I played 14 hours a day every day, became number one, held the lead at number one undisputedly forever until the point where nobody could catch up to me. I think I got past like two years later because I literally didn't play that game anymore. But like I wanted to be undisputed number one. And once I got that, I was like, this isn't the best. Where's the best? MLG. Got to win MLG. Then I started playing against the best guys like the Scumps and the Aches and the TPs. And, and I'm like, wow, these guys are better than me. How do I beat them? And I, I started, you know, studying and figuring that out. And then before I knew it, when I was in, you know, my junior year in high school or senior year in high school, I'm teaming with Scump and Aches and Teep and we're all in the same squad. And I'm in class and instead of focusing on my grades or my football game coming up, I'm just thinking about how I'm playing Arkin and CTF and Scump's going to drop 50 with an ACR this game for me. And I'm going to pull like eight flags. Like that's where my head was at. Didn't even think about money, championships, none of that. Just wanted to be the best player, period. Um, and nothing else really mattered. So like I said, when I did win the national championship and I was able to reflect on all the work and the time and the money that came from it, I started to realize – that time is money and you had to be able to be smart with it. So I did not see a future with call of duty or competitive. I thought I was lucky to win the tournament. It was the biggest one of the time and I didn't see any growth with it. So uh, I just decided to stop playing and just go straight into college and pursue being a businessman. I didn't know what I was going to do, but <laughs> just, I was like, I got to go get my education and I got to really have a 4.0. So I just really pursued just being the smartest kid in my class. And, and I saw Nate shot doing his thing. So I just immediately stopped college. I was like, yeah, I'm doing what Nate's doing, but I'm going to beat him at it. Like I was just always really competitive and I held myself to a standard where whatever number one was, whatever the best was in anything, I always had to compare myself to it and excel in it and, and see what they did, but do more than them. You know, like I would study people very hard. And I think that's the reason why I'm at where I'm in, where I'm at today. Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, your drive is what brought you to where you are today. Like that's definitely what brings you to the dance. Like, uh, and I have a lot of respect for it. Like, so for, for listeners that don't know, uh, I mean, again, most people probably know your career, Doug, but just for the sake of maybe some, some guys that have never uh, heard of you, um, you know, last year you were signed to the CDL contract with, uh, with the New York subliners and you even played briefly with triumph for a couple of weeks. That was um, great. That was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it was fun. It's, it's a crazy time. I mean, we have a lot to talk about as well that I would like to touch on today about like, you know, the different the difference between CDL last season and like how it used to be like, you know, previously with the CWL. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of changes 
it was a lot to deal with for players like yourself who have been around for a long time who are uh so used to the way things used to be so there's definitely like just a wild year last year um in general but what i wanted to say was like when i met you and, and talked to you for the first time i remember the first time we talked you called me at like 4 a.m do you remember that no <laughs> i think he, he like got <laughs> at 4 a.m like hey man could i call you and like it was the first time i ever met you and like uh i remember thinking like you, you know for someone like you you're obviously well known everybody had sort of like opinions on you. I had never met you or spoke to you before. Uh, last year was my first year in Call of Duty, frankly. So uh, I didn't really know what to think about you, you know? And one of the first things that stuck out to me about you, Doug, was like your passion and your drive. And I think that it, it goes without saying that like that's why you're here today, whether it was with playing or with content. It's like, you can't teach that shit, man. Like the, the drive that you have to get up every day and go hit the gym and still like get on and you know, do podcasts and then to play and to stream and to practice hard. Like not everyone's built like that, man, frankly. And, and uh, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the main reasons I want to talk to you, man, was just because I, I'm really interested in the way that you look at Call of Duty. I, I'm, I'm interested in the way that you look at competing uh, because I think that your perspective is like one of the purest in terms of like being a competitor because you don't care about the money. You care about like being the best. You know, um, Sean, if it was about money, I wouldn't even be having this conversation. I'd have 10 million subs on YouTube and be living yeah. in like a dollar mansion right now. Yeah. Like, you could, like you I, could, dude, all yeah. those opportunities were right there for me to take. And I said, fuck all that, dude. Like, I want to win in this thing. Like, when I, I look back, like, I look at it like this, Sean. Like, if I'm going to die one day, am I going to be proud of the fact that I have a lot of money? Like, no. Am I going to be proud of the fact that I have 10 million subs on YouTube? Probably. Like, that'd be awesome to be able to reach that many people. But, in order to get to those levels, sometimes you got to do things that put you out of your comfort zone and go against your morals. So I try to find a good balance in my head of like, what's morally correct for me, you know, for example, like to get to, if you could ask anyone on YouTube who has 10 million subs, right? Like how do they get to there? They got to do some shit that they probably want to do morally or ethically half of the time, unless they're really yeah. lucky with gaming, you know, like ninja is an exception to that where play Fortnite 12 hours a day and you just blow up. Right. But there's a lot of YouTubers in my personality, in my field where you got to make, um, you know, clickbaiting vlogs or challenges or skits or pranks. And you get so burnt of doing a thousand YouTube videos, 1500 YouTube videos, 2000 YouTube videos. You're always thinking of the new next idea. It doesn't matter how good your last month was. doesn't matter how many views you got. doesn't matter if you got a half a million views every day on every video, what are you doing next? And that cycle doesn't end. So it gets to a point where you have to start really being extra creative or having a good group around you or something. So I started to realize like, you know, I want to be able to take everything I've built, but I want to transition this back to where I truly care, which is competing because competing doesn't ever get old. Sports never get old. I watch and love sports and I love them every day of my life. I wake up and I watch sports talk. I play, I compete, I watch call of duty. I watch sports at night. I watch sports analysts, you know, it's like, it's all I do. So that's what I love and that doesn't get old or boring. So if I could transition my lifestyle and what I built with this content and this platform to making people as interested in these sports and these competitive video games as I am, uh, that's where I ultimately want to be. So, And also the most important thing to me, more than anything else, is to win a Call of Duty World Championship. You know, like to be able to know that like winning the national championship was amazing at the time because it was the biggest thing. Then they announced the World Championship, Sean. And... I had my first crack at it was my best crack. I was the number one seed at that tournament and we choked and we didn't play that well and we got fourth. Um, and we were by far, in my opinion, the best team. So we had that one shot. And since that one time in 2014, I haven't even had a chance to really play because I you know, took off with YouTube, never got to play. And you know the rest of it from there. Yeah. So that, that, that to me is the number one thing. It's like, you know, screw the money, screw the views, screw the YouTube, screw all this. Like, yeah, I'm going to maintain all that and focus on it too. But being in a situation and a system like how you guys had for me last year in challengers, that's all I could have asked for, you know, with call of duty and the, the league being its first year and being on the subliners and not even getting a, a chance to even play call of duty to get the chance from your squad to even play on the team was what I really cared about the most. And it just sucked. It was so late in the year, but like, that's really what I live for is being in those situations where people that you could look at them and say, Hey, this guy knows how to play. Like that guy knows how to play too, you know, like these guys know how to win, you know, because when you have that winning feeling and you're around the best in the world and you play against the best and you beat them, you know what it takes and you know who hasn't and who doesn't. So to be able to even be in that system for a couple of days, a couple of weeks after all the shit I had to deal with that year was honestly just such a breath of fresh air to me. So yeah, yeah like winning, winning and your legacy at the end of the day, like money doesn't matter. It's what you do with your life and how you inspire people and the way that you conduct yourself um, and the messages you try to send and, and the goals that you try to set. So if the goal is money, 
you know, fall on YouTube. Don't play COD because it's going to be a lot harder to grow in it. Um, if the goal is to win, then this is the way that you got to go about it. You just got to play the game and be around the right guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful perspective, man. Um, and that, that leads into something that I, I think is really important that you started to touch on is like what it's like to be a CDL player. That's not like, you know, playing and like you, you as a competitor, you just want to fucking play. Um, so I, I think it's important to talk about this actually because the the new CDL uh, format obviously that started last year in 2020 is a lot different from uh, how the CWL was run for whatever five six seven years prior. Um, I mean I don't know when the CD, CWL started like 2012 I guess like you said after a national. Uh, I think the Call of Duty World League started in around like 2015, like Advanced Warfare. Like four or five I, years. Think it was, okay. I think it was MLG prior to that, like from 07 or I right, think it was 02 right. or whatever when it started. But I think 2015 is when they switched to CWL or 2016, around that time. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it was like, like I thought, maybe like four or five years. Um, but basically, you know, the, this transition to the CDL and the way it is now with a franchise league, with a, a geographical uh, franchise league with city-based teams. Um, it's kind of changed everything. And and I've seen this already, and you know this, I talked to you about this anyway, is like I had seen this for three and a half years uh, with Overwatch League as well, because they started their professional league out with the same uh, format as the CDL. And uh, it, it, it definitely, it brings a lot of challenges. Uh, and for a scene like Call of Duty, where you guys had many years of competing in a completely different way and open bracket formats and such, uh, it, it definitely brings like a totally different perspective on how to become successful as a competitor. Uh, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about like the CDL. Now that we are in between CDL season one and two, uh, a lot of teams have been announced for season two already. We're still waiting, of course, on teams like Paris and what's Seattle. Florida needs their fourth. Florida, Florida, Florida. Yeah. Right? So a couple teams still haven't announced. We're still waiting on subs and everything. But um, considering now that you've been through a full year, you know, you came back to compete. I think a lot of people were surprised to see you picked up last year because like you said, you had been focusing on content for a couple of years. Uh, you know, so can you walk me through like, what was your experience with the CDL season one? Like what's your opinion, uh, good and bad of like, how do you think that the transition to this franchise format is working for the COD scene? Do you think it's, uh, you know, what are the positives and negatives, man? Uh, I guess I'll start with the positives. The positives are you have consistent teams every year in the league. I think it's a huge hit. For example, in Black Ops 4, FaZe Clan is, you know, they're probably the number two biggest overall team. I guess number three behind LA Optic or Optic and 100 Thieves because Nade Shot, Hex, Scump really built this COD scene up. And FaZe is huge on YouTube, huge on everything else. And they're big in competitive Call of Duty. It's not as big as Nade Shot, Scump, Hector, because that's their baby. So FaZe being a top three overall most popular team in the entire league, not qualifying in the beginning of Black Ops 4 and not being in the league for the first half of it hurts the league because you need that in the league. You know, you, you, yeah. you need these players to be playing and competing under FaZe Clan. They need to have a chance of being one of the best top teams because they're so well known around the world as a gaming organization. So I think it really hurt the league knowing that every year you don't know what teams are going to be in it. So I think having a franchise league where you have these consistent teams in it is a huge deal. And then also the other positive too is that they're able to keep the Atlanta phase name and they're also able to keep the LA Optic name. I thought those were huge wins for the league as well. And I think obviously now with 100 Thieves being in the league, that's the biggest win we've had of 2020 because Nade Shot is the ultimate codfather of our scene. He's the reason our scene is here with Hector and Seth. But he is really like the main face of it, right? Like Nate is always going to be the face of COD. So for him to have his own team back in the league is major. To have Atlanta FaZe stay in the league, although it's not technically FaZe clan, everyone knows it's FaZe and it's called yeah. FaZe. So to have FaZe, to have Nade, to have Hector and Seth, hopefully they could rename Huntsman to Optic or they could find a way of getting Optic back in because these are the people and the roots and the teams and the foundations that built our scene up. And in order for it to continue to grow, we need to follow these guys. These guys are the ones that literally are giving us jobs now. You know, like these billionaires wouldn't be coming in our scene investing if they didn't see the growth and the growth all came from these three individuals and then FaZe. And then you also have Hastro and you also have Dallas Empire too, who have been a staple. And we need more of that. And we need more rivals to that. And that's how 
it's really going to grow. So to have those consistent platforms here every single year, and then obviously having the funding and the, the ability to get funding from billionaires and be able to have this investment is huge. So that's the best thing about the league. The negatives of the league, the number one negative was the fact that we had 12 teams more than anything. You know, if we yeah, could have 16 yeah. teams, I think it would solve so many issues. Being able to have a pool play format where you have four teams in groups is a major thing for the scene. Having a 12 team structured format where you go into champs and you have teams starting in losers bracket where they weren't even supposed to play at champs. I don't even agree with that to begin with, because no matter how horrible you are, every single team should have the opportunity to play at call of duty champs. You know, I, that, that would have been the first year if COVID didn't happen, it would have been the first year where teams wouldn't have been able to play at call of duty champs. You know, even back in 2019 and 2018, you could still, no matter how bad you were throughout the year, go through a qualifier and then go into champs and then qualify for bracket play at champs. You know, like I did that in 2017. We were in a group and we had the hardest group. We had FaZe, we had this top EU team, and we had a Beezy's team. Ibiza in general was the team we had. We lost a phase like 3-1. We beat the other European team, and then we had to play Ibiza in general. If we didn't beat them, we would have placed top 24 champs. Obviously, we beat them, and we, we knocked them out. But, you know, like we had so many different opportunities. With the 12-team league, it makes it so hard to structure a tournament format. So I think adding four new teams would solve a lot of things. So unfortunately, we won't have that this year. But I think that the league made a lot of positive strides forward. The negatives about the league, um, I guess – as a player who's in the league, right, from season one, the fact that the challenger system, they made it so strict and they wouldn't allow you to do anything. Like, I wanted to play the entire year starting from day one. And I signed my contract talking to my owner, specifically telling him I am only joining this team for one reason. It's not to give you content. It's not to give you views. It's not to grow your following. Yeah, those are all number two to me. And I'm down to do them all. And I'm down to fulfill all my contractual obligations. But the only reason I'm joining you and leaving FaZe, the biggest team in the world who gave me everything, is because I want to be a player. And being in New York as a player is really important for my branding and my life. So if I have a chance of playing here, let me know. If I don't, keep it moving. I talked to Dallas Empire. Stro told me he'll sign me as a content creator, no problem. But I'm not playing on a squad, he said. No chance, you're not playing here, but I'd love to have you as a content creator. If that's how you view me, then tell me that now, and I'm not joining your team. But if you want to give me a chance to play, and if you respect my dream, and you actually feel that way about me, I'm joining that's what I was told. And it never happened. Uh, I never had a chance from the beginning. And a lot of it was the players. A lot of it was the org. A lot of it was the league. It was a little bit of everything. Um, obviously, as a starting player, if I'm accuracy, temp, Zuma, zero, attach, and I've been playing, and then I see this guy who, yeah, he's won before, and he's good, and I played against him. I beat him. I lost to him, blah, blah, blah. But for this guy to like leave the scene, do his content, come back into the scene, it's like he's taking a shortcut. He's already back in because he's got this brand. It's it's like this, it's this feeling of envy that's not even spoken about, and it's so indirect, and it's always there no matter what happens. And obviously, these guys aren't going to view me as their equal because I'm not their equal. I'm their substitute, and they don't want to lose their job to me. And the league never had substitutes. We saw so many teams and players swapping players out midseason, but going into the year, no starter thought that a sub was ever going to take their job. And I was so headstrong on playing. And I made it clear to the players, listen, I want to play and I'm going to grind every day. I want to help you guys be the best you could be. I know my role in the squad. I'm the sub, but I'm going to work as hard, if not harder than anyone. And I'm going to get my chance somehow, some way, somewhere. So I'm going to try to help you guys. If you need to practice search, I'm on every day to play with you guys in search. If you want me to be in your VODs, I'll be in your VODs. If you want me to stay away and not get involved, I won't do that. Like whatever you need from me, I'm there for you. Um, but they didn't want me there, period. You know, like it, they don't want me there at all. They don't need me. They don't value me. They don't trust me. They don't need me. Like, and then the, the org owners as well, they tell me that they want to protect my dream, but then you have the league. And this is where the issue really came in for me personally. The league is saying, hey, if you're a substitute, you need to have one sub on your team, travel with the team to the majority of events. So my owners wanted me to travel with our squad to the majority of the events. So I wasn't able to play on a challenger's team because of that rule that was set up. And I tried to fight it and say, listen, I still want to play and compete. But they, they really just couldn't give me an option to do it. It would have cost them so much money and investment of signing a team for me to play. Um, so the, the league setting the rules up with challengers and it being so strict. I mean, Sean, there were so many weekends. I couldn't play in tournaments because my, my team didn't approve me joining a team in time. I couldn't play with Spart and his team who almost knocked you guys out. I think one of their players lied out on that Hackney Yard hard point. And that's the reason yeah, you guys ended up forfeiting. You, you forfeited them and I would have done it too. I would have forfeited them because you want to win. But like those are the players I could have been playing with at champs, but I couldn't because of the league's rules. When I was still on your team and I got benched, I couldn't join a different team. That was another top five team in Western because of the league's rules. So the combination of 
my org owners just not knowing too much about the scene going into year one and just trusting really just their coach and their starters and their word on it with the players not wanting me to be there at all and the league's format of how challengers is set up it was really just a situation just destined to fail and um it was a big mistake, honestly. I should have never done it, but what am I supposed to do? I'm hearing that I'm going to get my dream protected. I'm hearing that I'm going to have opportunities to play. I'm hearing that these guys trust me and want me to be the face of their franchise, yet there's no actions being involved. We go into LA and we play with a substitute who hasn't even played a single game of, of practice yet. I can't even get a day of practice to try out, you know, at least with you guys and fellow. They call me up and they go, Doug, you're our number three option behind fire in general. We're going to give you a chance, but we're probably going to go with these guys. But we respect you. We know you. We're going to give you a chance. And I took advantage of it. I played better than them, and they let me on. Imagine if I had that opportunity with subliners early in the year and had some reps and were able to play and go into a tournament. You know, it all would have changed things for me, but I was so censored and restricted, no pun intended, where I couldn't even play. I, I Sean, I had to sit there. I don't think people really understand the shit I went through. I I didn't have to do any of this. I could have just quit early in the year and just focus on content. And I would have gotten shit for that either way. They would have been like, oh, you say you want to play and win, but you're not doing anything. What did I do instead? Every day, I'm sitting in my team scrims. I'm there at 155. I sit there until 7 p.m. watching them, hearing them you know, argue, go back and forth. Try, You know how it is with practice. It's just yeah. always stressful and people want to get better. I'm listening to this in my head for five hours. I'm the first one in a tens lobby. I can't get picked in it. I have to wait until 2 o'clock in the morning if I'm lucky to get picked in tens. I'll go days without even getting to play a practice game. Then I'll talk to my org owner, yo, this ain't it. This is not healthy. I can't sit here for 14 hours a day literally watching COD. Like This is ridiculous. I need to be able to play. All right, let's talk to the league. Two weeks later, the league tells me I can't play. It's like I'm going through this cycle every single day. It's so unhealthy. It's so stressful. And I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here collecting this paycheck and I don't want to collect it because I just want to play. And I'm just screwed at this point. And then COVID happens and I'm locked down. And it's like, well, I gotta, I just gotta make the most of it. I just gotta push through it. And all those practice 10 sessions, which isn't even actually team practice, is the reason I got the tryout with Triumph, is the reason why I was able to play well in my tryout. Um, but unfortunately just, I didn't have enough team practice, you know? So being able to play a day of, you know, team scrims and try out against Draza and Dylan Rex and UIU and those guys and play well against them, I was able to do it. But on a consistent basis, I wasn't able to stay at the level I needed to because I only had a total of 14 practice sessions and it was already in May. So the whole year, just everything about it was just from the beginning, by far the worst year of my life in terms of just sitting there for 14 hours a day, trying to play and not being able to do that. Tell, hearing that my dream is protected and I'm going to be the future in the face of your franchise and you want me to play, but I'm never able to. And then the ultimate disrespect, putting happy in over me without even giving me a chance in scrims. Yeah. Listen, if I go into these scrims and happy plays better than me, let him play. You know, And I wasn't mad at him at all. I saw him at the event and I was, I was being the best teammate I could. I'm like, yo, listen, happy. I'd die to have your shoes right now. I'd die to be in your position right now, bro. So if you're going to have the shot, you better take full advantage of it, bro. I'm behind you, man. Go go out and do your thing, dude. Because I'm not going to be mad at him for getting my job. If he gets the job, he gets the job. But I was just really upset with the players, the coaches, the org owners, just everybody involved in that situation. And I didn't say a word about it the whole time. They were really fortunate that I didn't open my mouth because sometimes I, I say things that I shouldn't. And um, I feel like that was one of those times I should have said something. But um you know, it, it, I just feel like people just really disrespected me. They really treated me like shit. Um, and I feel like a lot of people feel that way too. So the way I look at it, um, I just use it all and I just harness it all up. And I, I know the hours these guys put in. I know what it takes to win. And nobody puts in more hours or wants to win more than I do. So put me on a stage with those guys when we get the same amount of practice and they'll lose because I never lost in the finals and I won't yeah. because they don't want it more than me. So, and, and on top of all the shit I dealt with, oh, man, forget about it, bro. Like... I already had that fire in me. I can smell, I can smell the, the the smoke and, and the fumes, man. It's it's so it's so much you know stress at the end of the day. Just a lot of stress and a lot of um a lot of people critiquing you and judging you all the time. You know, no matter what you do, yeah. so it's a lot to bottle in and it's a lot of energy. And I just need yeah, to man. be able to think about it in a way where you could focus it in a good direction and just use it to fuel you because this is your character here. This is where you could either get broken, feed into it, or you could push forward through it. And I choose to take the second path. Yeah. Well, look, man, um, definitely a lot to unbox. I like, I, I think I'm, I'm glad that you brought all this up because I think this year <clears throat> with the advent of the CDL this last year, a lot of people that uh, bought up the CDL spots didn't really, they've never built a team before. They've never worked in COD before. So there's a lot of people in charge that don't necessarily um, have this, the team building skills or, or the scene knowledge or the understanding of how teams work, frankly. So it's created a lot of challenges within a lot of the CDL teams. And I think we've seen many teams 
uh, suffer last season and we'll see teams suffer this season from just having people that don't necessarily know what they're doing in charge of the CDL teams. You know, I can't speak much for, um, for, for New York subliners and what happened with you and your time there. Um, but I do think that there's this big issue that happened last season that a lot of people um, <clears throat> didn't expect, which is like the integration of substitute players um, not being done correctly. You know, someone like you, for instance, there's two types of players that took a subcontract last season, and it, it'll be the same this season. Um, there's players that take a subcontract thinking like, okay, I'm going to do and I want to do whatever I can to prove to the coaches that I deserve to play and I'm going to get my shot to actually start at some events this year and hopefully take a starting spot. Obviously, as a sub player, you don't want to take somebody's job, but like as a competitor, you want to get the starting spot. So, you know, you go into the year thinking like, oh, I'm going to get an opportunity to do so and that might never come. And then there are some players that just want to be on the bench so that they can put the, the CDL team's name in their, you know, Twitter description and just lean back and collect the paycheck. So you have two different players that are taking sub uh, contracts. But one thing that I talked a lot to our guys about last year, like early on in the year, we're talking February, March, um, you know, fellow uh, royalty and Nagafin, at least they all denied sub spots because they kind of knew that if we take a sub spot and we sit on the bench all year and we don't get an opportunity to play, then we're going to fall off or we're not going to be sharp enough when the time comes later in the year to actually compete. You know, they're competitors too, like you. So when you're a competitor, it doesn't really matter which team you're on. You want to be playing all the time, dude. Like, And so Challengers is supposed to exist so that you can be competing all the time. I think that this year, <clears throat> one thing at least, at the very least, with the affiliation rules that have changed um, from the CDL, uh, they're trying to open up Challengers a lot more to allow a lot, a lot more substitute players to actually play in the meantime while they're sitting on the bench. I do think like, <clears throat> that's not a solution though. I think like the best situations on, on CDL teams are going to come from really good coaching staff that know how to integrate their, their sub spots, you know, like, I don't think you can just sign and make this just my personal opinion. Cause I have seen this in the overwatch league for many years. Uh, I don't think you can just sign a fifth player or a substitute player and just have them sit on the bench and be ready to go. If somebody gets sick, because that's a losing format. Like, your bench player is not practicing every day. They're losing their mind. They're unhappy. They're like, give me a shot. And then if they do get thrown in, maybe they're not like as sharp as they would be if they were being. What happened to Happy in LA? I mean, yeah. Happy's a lot better than how he played at LA. He just wasn't able to play the game. Yeah. Know? Because if he, he was able to grind every day. He definitely would have performed, you know, 100%. pretty well for He's a good player. You know, he just wasn't yeah. able to play. 100%, man. And that's why, like, I think the, the best teams with the best coaches are going to figure out ways to integrate their, uh, their substitute players and their deep roster. I mean, that's why I think like last season you saw some teams like I think Toronto Alter did this where they had like a 10 man roster. And the whole idea is to integrate all of your players. I know people give Toronto a lot of shit, uh, you know, in the ownership. They give them a, a hard time because of a lot of things that happened last year, but uh, and sort of lackluster performance. But I will say that they were one of the only teams that were integrating their their secondary players um, you know, every week almost. It felt like every tournament they had different players. And, and so it's great for their team. It's yeah. just an extra, you know, $250,000. So <laughs> the, the, there's two ways you could go about it. It's very cut and dry. If you're a team watching this, take notes because I'm going to save you a lot of money and stress and time. You could either one, do the Toronto ultra approach where you pay five play or I guess four now. So it'd be $200,000. Do the, you know, the LA gorillas approach where you sign mental Chino, narrow poison and exceed. Let those guys grind together, play together. If the starters suck, you just swap these guys in, whoever's playing the best, right? That's a great way of doing it. Or the league, it's something that the league needs to have this conversation with the owners is, listen, you got players on the bench like Enable, Gunless, and um, Gunless didn't play at champs, if I'm not mistaken. Enable didn't play at champs, if I'm not mistaken. Gunless is honestly arguably one of the best players all around as an individual enable just got second at champs the last two years yeah, and then you also them, yeah. you also had mock sitting on the bench who won an event this year and then didn't get to play for the second half of the game and he won an event on modern warfare this year so as one of those guys too you got to think about them and then you obviously have me and i'm very outspoken with the league i've made my, my points very clear to those guys and they've all taken them and i'm sure a lot of the changes that happened this year is a combination of everything from last year but you need to let players that aren't playing as a starter 
be able to have the free will to play with anybody that they want in challengers at any time in order to stay fresh because that's the way call of duty works this isn't like basketball or football where you have a whole practice squad now you got to make it a rule for every single team to have a second practice squad for you to play on if you're in the league which is $200,000 a year, or you need to allow these players to go into the challenger system, no restrictions at all whatsoever. Like for example, last year when you guys benched me, I could have easily went to Wester, got another week of yeah. team scrims in, beat you guys at the event and said, ha I told you so. Like if you yeah. gave me that extra week, I would, you know what I mean? Like you got to give these guys a chance to play. And as a player who is as passionate as, as competing and winning as I am, who doesn't really care about money when I guarantee you 99% of players only care about money, and they care about winning second. They care about winning, but they care about money more. I don't care about the money. Um, is is you need these guys to play, and if they don't play, they're going to lose their minds, whether it's money or not. Because if they are in the league for money, if they're not playing, they can't make money. And if they're in the league to win and they're not playing, they're going to lose their minds the way that I did. So either way, it's unhealthy. So one, sign a second team and make it mandatory for every league team, which teams aren't going to want because that's two hundred thousand dollars a year. Or two. Very simple, easy solution. Any player that's not on a starting roster, even if you're a sub, let them play with anybody that they want in challengers. That whole challengers league should just be a free-for-all of whoever could come out on top, period. Whoever the best players are, period, are the ones that get to play in the league. And that's how it should work. There shouldn't be restrictions in it like there was in season one. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, you brought up like uh, you know the restrictions of season one for subs playing in challengers were was a little bit tight. Like I, I didn't like the way that it was set up. I do think they changed that rule this year. At the very least, they changed the rule where like you can have multiple subs from different teams on the same. Just time. one, right? Just two different teams yeah, for one. You can have yeah. two different teams with one sub on any challengers team. So like you could have a New York sub and a Florida sub on the same team, which which wasn't the case the year before. So they're opening it up a little bit, and I'm hoping that they do release restrictions. There should be no restrictions, Sean. And the reason why yeah. is because, listen, if you're a great player, you should have a sub spot in the league, right? So, like, I just think of players like, I don't think Enable is going to be a starter this year. I think he should get a sub spot. Um, I don't think Mox isn't a starter this year. He should also get a sub spot. General is not a starter this year. He should get a sub spot. These players who are proven, who have been great, who have been consistently performing well for years, should be the ones getting the $50,000 sub spots. And they should also be able to play with anyone they want. General, say, let's just say, for example, General, Enable, myself, and Fellow all get subspots on different teams. There's nothing that should say that we shouldn't be able to play with each other because we deserve the subspots on those teams. We are the best players not starting, and we should be able to play together in challengers. And if there's players that don't have the subspots, like, for example, Standy, great example, right? Like he should be able to play with whoever he wants and be able to get the best team that he can. And if he beats the team that we have, who is technically the next guys up, Standy's the next one up and he should be the one getting that contract. That's the healthiest way the system should work because that would promote the absolute best players who have placed the best and done the best to consistently getting the opportunities that they should be getting and should be deserving, as opposed to limiting the guys who take the sub spots to say, yeah, if I take this 50 grand, I can only put one other sub on another team. So uh, if I'm a sub, it might not be worth it. So I should lose this $50,000 to play in challengers and make a thousand a month. So I'm losing $40,000 and I'm taking this risk. Those guys who have been around like general fellow, everyone on your roster, Sean, shouldn't have to worry and stress about those things. They deserve the best opportunities to be at the highest level because they've earned that over their careers. That's why I'm a really strong believer in no restrictions and challengers. It's not the league. Listen, if you're in the pro league, you got a $250,000 contract. I get the restrictions. You play on this team, you represent them. If you're not, it should be a free for all of whoever could be the best and, and whoever could come out on top. Yeah, I can definitely see that argument, man. But I think that there, there needs to be a lot of restrictions because, uh, like, to be honest, there's two problems. The first problem is that if you're going to take a sub spot in, in the CDL, it should be worth it, which is not a play. It's not the player's fault. It really is the CDL team's fault. If taking a sub spot is not worth it. If you're not getting integrated into the team, if you don't have a chance to fight for a spot, if there's not a competitive environment where you as a sub can actually end up starting if you're playing better, then that means, in my opinion, that's the CDL team's fault. So, like, I don't think that the league should correct too much for a CDL team having a, a shitty program, frankly, where they're not integrating their sub players. Well, how can you integrate the sub player then? What if your team is set? You know, like a lot of starters in, in any league in sports have a set starting roster, and then, you know, their bench doesn't play. They get to practice every day, though. But if you're on the bench in Call of Duty, how am I going to practice if I'm not on a starting roster? Because Call of Duty is a very specific team game. You have to be on a team to play and get practice. You can't just play eights and tens all day. I mean, I did that last year, and look what happened with me. Um, yeah, I mean, you gotta I, be able to play. You know, I, yeah, I do suppose like Call of Duty is a little bit different than some other games, and um, I, and also the game changes every year, right? Don't forget. So I guess like 
the meta. Look at, like look the at hard Kenny, meta. Sean. Look at yeah. Kenny. Best player in World War II. First six months of Black Ops 4, not even a top 10 player. Yeah. He finally found a strat at the end of the game, but every year you see this. The best players in one game <laughs> does not translate to the best players in the next game. It does, you know, you don't know. It just yeah, but then you can you can skip a game like you could be shitty for a game and then be good in the in the following game. So that's why I think like, I, and this is another point too is like the whole point of the franchise format is for players to have more job security, right? It's like you're supposed to get signed for a couple years at a time and not have to worry about the entire roster getting dropped every off season, like we've kind of seen already in between season one and season two. Uh, and so hypothetically, if you're building a long-term roster, like I think Dallas is doing a very good job of this so far anyway, obviously they had to drop Clayster because the, the shrinking of five V five before before, but you know, they're looking long-term, right? They don't want to make a lot of changes to their roster. So if they pick up a substitute player, um, then they're going to do so looking forward to the next two, three years of like, okay, well maybe if let's say, let's say, uh, Shotzi is really shitty at the next game, which is probably not going to happen. Let's be honest, Doug. But like, let's say, okay, Shotzi. I'd, I'd say it's it's not a high chance that Shotzi's <laughs> going to be shit at, at Cold War. It's yeah, not, yeah. not, a, not a likely thing to happen. <laughs> but any player, you know, a role player on their team, maybe you know the next game comes out and the meta is a certain way where like one of your flex players is not really having a good game. Like you want to still be able to have that job security, keep that guy around because he was an important part of your team last season. So hypothetically you want to have substitute players that are also very flexible players that you can move into the roster, see if it works better and, and, and move stuff around. The problem is that most coaching staffs in the CDL are not really mentally thinking that way yet. And so this is a long-term goal, I suppose. But in terms of like what that means for challengers, I do think that subs should be allowed to play in challengers and they are, and it's opening up a little bit. So I'm, I'm seeing some improvements there going into season two um, because the, the worst thing that can happen no matter what Doug is, you know, more or less what you experienced last season, which is like if you take a sub spot and you don't get play time, um, you might as well chalk it up. Like the whole year is a waste of your time. You're just yeah, if, you're, if your coach doesn't even let you get a day of practice when you're going into a tournament benching a starter and the player that's playing over you hasn't even played the game, that's a huge red flag to me, you know? And if yeah. that happened to me, it's definitely going to happen to somebody else. I'm not the only one who's going to see this. I definitely got the shit end of the stick, hands down. And then people will be like, oh, you got paid. Well, screw the money, dude. Yeah, I'm not here yeah. for it. You know, like I could have stayed in phase clan and made a million dollars last year, just being a content creator and streaming and uploading. But I want to be here to play. Like it's not about the money, man. It's, it's about the goal. The goal is to win and to build the coolest team. Like, and that's another thing too, Sean, I, I agree with a lot of the points you make in terms of challengers and substitutes. They got to be able to play in challengers. I think you and I both agree, but the, the overall goal of this league, I think is to make money right? Like to build an audience and to make money. So you need to follow what the greatest guys in our league do. Scump, uh, Nayshop, Formal. You got Clay to an extent, Krim to an extent. Um, Octane's doing an excellent job right now. He needs more recognition. You need these guys, no matter how great you are at COD. Look at Nade. Nobody will ever say Nayshop's a top 10 player ever. And nobody might, people might not even say he's a top 25 player ever. He's had a lot of achievements. He's won a lot. He's had some great players around him, but Nade is the face of COD. And without Nade, our scene isn't here. So we need more Nade shots in our scene. We need more people to replicate his success in our scene. Because if we just have these guys, no matter how great you are, like a Simp or a Celium or an Abizi, you'd be the best, most talented players I've seen. But if you're not doing the content and the streaming the way that Nade shot did, it doesn't matter how great you are, Sean. I, I was winning events before joining FaZe. When I won Nats, I had 2,000 followers on Twitter. Nobody really cared. Like I won the biggest one, but who cared about it? You know, they, they only care if you have the audience and you got to build it up. So we need more people who have audiences or who are willing to build them in order for this league to succeed or else none of it's ever going to be worth it. Sponsorships won't sell. Tickets won't sell when COVID ends. Um, the league's going to lose a crap ton of hundreds of millions of dollars and it's all going to go away. And, you know, you'll have the players like Simp who are amazing at the game who aren't having jobs. And, and what are they doing with their lives now? And that was my number one concern, Sean, when I was 18 years old. Is I'm the best in the world. I'm a national champion. Look at me. I got $12,000 to show for it and nobody cares. Yeah. That was my mindset on it. And that still holds true today. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely not wrong, dude. Like I, there's so much more to being a professional player than just playing the game. Like I've always said that, you know, like creating a brand. This is one thing that you've obviously been very successful at. And it's very wise of you to build the brand in, way, in the way that you did, because now you have this huge cushion for your career where like, if you're not playing, you can still do something else to make money. Um, but also for the league to succeed, you need players that are creating brands around themselves. You need teams that are creating brands around their players in order for interest to to increase. 
Um, and that is definitely part of it. That's one huge part of what's going to make. Look at NBA, Sean. I mean, NBA wouldn't be here today if you didn't have Magic Johnson, you know, right. or if you didn't have Larry Bird. If those guys didn't come in who just took over the sport, then they they brought it to MJ, and then you had Shaq and Kobe and LeBron. Like, without these superstar people, look, I'm sure there's incredible talents back then, but nobody even cares or remembers half of that. Yeah. You got Carl Malone. You got you know you got these guys, but like who who's going to care in the long scheme of COD about? The most like we have some great talent in this league. I could just name 10 off the top of my head. Arcides, Envoy, Sim, Abizi, Celium, Priesta, Major Maniac, Attach. Um, you know, I could go gunless, enable, like I could go on and on and on. No one's gonna care about any of these people in the long run if we don't build our legacy now with huge branding and content because right. the league isn't gonna be here in five years if we don't have that. And I don't think these league owners, and I tried to tell this to my owner, I tried to tell this to everyone on, on social media. I was like, yo, Farzam, like. You're going to lose a lot of money if you don't have me making YouTube videos like Team Scrimming Against Phase where I'm getting 300,000 views in the video to sell sponsorships and get you more followers. Because at the end of the day, this business is about growing a following and getting more engaged audiences to watch the sport. Then the players could kind of just come in and have a big brand. I look at Juju as well, Juju Smith-Schuster and the Steelers. I remember right when he got out of college, he DM'd me. He's like, I want to be in Phase. I, I think I'd like put him in a group DM with Tommy or whatever. He started going out to the phase house, making content with those guys. Now he posts a photo on Instagram when he wins at a Steelers game and he gets 200,000 likes on it. And he's yeah. getting brand deals with hair sponsorships, which are probably six figure deals. And that's how the NFL is growing because he's got this brand now on the side, which is growing the league. He's making more money. He's maximizing his success. If he's not a player anymore, he's going to make more money. He's going to win in the long run. The league the NFL is going to win in the long run. The team, the Steelers are going to win in the long run. But if we just have these players who just sit here and sip 300 milligrams of caffeine a day and just try to get the best competitive edge and only focus about COD and only focus about winning and don't care about their branding, and it's a lot of work to put in, in time for branding, then our league isn't going to go anywhere. So there's a lot of pressure on these players right now to do that because the league can't do it for the players. The, 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 the league has to hope these players could become the next Nate shot, and that's only going to come through their drive, through their willing to want to have more money outside of the league and to be able to listen to other guys in the league like myself, like Nate, like Seth, like Octane. You got to follow these guys, and you, you got to learn from them, and we all have to help each other in order for this thing to work out in the end. Yeah, I think you're right, man. And and you bring up the NBA. I think if there's one thing that NBA did that that really just set the stage for every other sports organization and really what most esports organizations are trying to do now is like they create a league of stars for sure. It's like the reason why the NBA is like the most successful sports uh, association is because of the star power. Whether you're talking back in the 70s and 80s, you're talking about people like Magic Johnson, talking about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was the first athlete to have like this insane like billion dollar shoe deal, you know, like yeah. When people realize like, oh, the star power is in the players, <clears throat> you know, that's what made the NBA, you know, so different. That's what separated them from the pack in terms of like success. And they're still having success today with people like LeBron and the star power. Behind Luka Doncic them. now, you know, now the NBA is at a point where a player like Luka Doncic could just come in, play extremely well and become a huge brand just because he's playing well. Yeah. Look at the players in our league, dude. Look at Envoy. He's on the Chicago Huntsman, the most popular team in the yeah. game, right? He's an amazing player, an amazing teammate, but he's not getting a million followers in a year from playing Call of Duty. Nobody is. You know, the only players that have it are the players like Seth, Formal, myself, Nade, Krim, Clay. It's it's like it's such a small group, dude. Yeah. You, you need these. And you look at other teams. Like look at uh, Florida Mutineers. Look at Caesar Skies, dude. The guy won like three tournaments this year. You know, and, and like he's not he's not getting a million followers a year. You know, like Luca could just come into the NBA, play well, and get that. We got players that are incredibly talented, like Caesar, like Ferro, like Methods, like, and he's even making content. Like the scene just hasn't gotten to that level yet, and we need another big bang, like how Nade did with Optic and Hector in Black Ops Two. I saw it in front of my eyes, and that's why I dropped out of college. It was a no-brainer, you know, like to just see that happen. And we need something like that to happen again. And I believe the only way it happens is if you have players like Octane, like myself, like Seth, like Nade, making content, rivaling each other, making 1v1 videos against each other, playing each other in tournaments and playing well in them, making fun content around that. That's how it's going to start. And then other players like the Envoys, like the set, like the Skies, like the Pharaohs are going to follow the, the lead and they're going to be able to blow up as well. A great example too, Sean. I'm sorry for going off on this tangent, no, but... Last night, I don't know if you watched this, there was a huge Warzone tournament. The first place guys got 37,500 each. You you know, the players who won that are super evident Biffle. You know, this guy Biffle has got over 5,000 subs on Twitch. He was playing with Nick Merckx. He was winning tournaments with Nick Merckx, and he was so good 
that he was on that audience, Nick Merce's team and his his whole audience was watching Biffle play. And now he's got a huge following on Twitch. Super Evans following is growing on Twitch because he's affiliated with Biffle, who is affiliated with Nick. And Super Evans is a great player. You know, like they all grow off of each other. And that's something that's very important in our scene. The players and the orgs have to be able to grow off of each other. And right now it's a very um, cut and dry mentality of I need to be number one to secure my $250,000 contract or else I'm screwed. I don't want to care about content because if I do content, I'm not going to be the best player. And that, that's a whole way of thinking that this league has, and it's never going to work for anyone at the end of the day. I think everyone needs to do a better job of content creation and supporting each other. And I think the orgs need to do a better job of, um, I guess, getting the right group to begin with, and then also offering them the stability that you were talking about and, and finding ways to give people multiple attempts, multiple stability uh, options and, and getting the right guys in charge. So I think we're on a good path, but it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, it's definitely going to take time. I mean, we have to evolve, you know, like the whole the whole like advent of having a franchise league is like everyone said, oh, let's just take the NBA or traditional sports format and let's just do it in esports. And I think that we found out within the first couple of years of seeing this with the Overwatch League and now seeing it with the CDL. Um we need to not just try to copy what other people are doing. Like what we do is unique. Like esports is very unique. And the way that we build brands, the way that we get viewership, the way that we grow is different from traditional sports. And so, yeah, I think that it's going to take time for us to figure out exactly what the formula is for success um, with the CDL, for example. It is a combination definitely of like not only having the best players, but also um, marketing the best players. And, and, and building brands around and building hype and stories around the best players. I mean, I talk about this a lot. I, I don't know. You probably didn't catch the last episode of the podcast, but we talked uh, with uh, somebody that runs tournaments. And like he was saying, and I have to agree with him, uh, it's almost like building the story around the players is more important than the actual matches that are played. You know, so every player needs that. to be streaming. Like it should be a mandatory thing that if you're playing in a tournament, it should be live. Everyone should be able to watch everyone's point of view. If you're watching a sporting event, if you're watching NFL, NBA, golf, soccer, baseball, anything, everybody could watch the game. You shouldn't have to just tune into one player. With Call of Duty, it's so unique that every player could show their point of view, or there needs to be a stream. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you just the only way for these individuals to grow is through streaming the tournaments. That's the only way, and then obviously uploading content on YouTube as well. But the main thing to me, if players all stream the point of views, had a webcam, had their face cam on, and people could see them, um, it would help so much. I would love to see Sean if every player in the league or in, in challengers or whatever were streaming their tournaments for an entire year. The growth of Call of Duty esports on Twitch, I, I would be very curious be to insane. see that number. It would be insane. Yeah. And it would happen very quickly. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think you're right, man. And and I, I, don't you think that um, one of the things that's so special about esports in general is the accessibility. Anyway, like we we are like one of the first industries where every single player can have a brand and stream what they do every single day, all day. Like, there's never been a, a sport or I guess a form of entertainment where you had that unlimited access. That's come with the internet. That's come with social media. So yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're spot on. You know, we actually we're getting uh, let's say like, like 50 minutes into this podcast already, man. I, I want to ask you, like, what's what's your goals this year? Um, you know, are you looking to play in challengers? Are you still you know, maybe you already got signed to Paris and you're not telling anyone like what's your goals this season, man? I'm not joining Paris. I'm not playing in the Call of Duty League. I'm not going to be a substitute in the Call of Duty League. Um for me, it's really just about being on the best team. I, I don't even care about the title of being in the league or not. I thought about that a lot more last year because I was leaving phase and it was very scary for me to be a person who I had a plan for so long of what I wanted and I did everything exactly to a T. And this was the first time last year where I was going into uncharted territory of the fear of leaving phase clan was real of leaving the biggest team. So that's why I joined New York because it's my home and they promised me to build around me in the future. I don't think they said that to the players, which was a huge issue as well. Um, a lot of intransparencies there. Like you can't tell me you're the, I'm the face of your franchise because that's what sold me to join New York. If they told me, listen, Doug, like a hashtag, like, yo, we got the starting team. Um, we're not going to, you know, like he even said to me, we're not going to guarantee you playing time, but we're going to support your dream. And then we went into specifics and everything made sense. But if, if, you know, if I can look back at it, it just, it just really set me back. And everything that I wanted to do last year now got pushed to this year, Sean. So my goal for this year is to learn from all the mistakes from last year, 
to not it's like I was sitting there grinding Damascus for 10 hours a day because Donnie and I made a bet if I would get Damascus before Minnesota, he yeah. would take me out to a steak dinner. I got Damascus, he never took me out to the freaking steak dinner. So Dude, what I put in you tell me he owes you steak dinner? Yeah, he owes me a steak dinner, and I still want that steak dinner. I worked very, very hard first. for that. Because if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't do it, Sean, if I didn't get Damascus, I would have owed him a steak dinner, and he would have helped me to it, and I would have given him the steak dinner. Because yeah. I'm a man of my word, dude. I even had a bet with Donnie in World War II that I would have won an event, and if I didn't win an event, that if I won an event, he would give me ten grand. If I didn't, he, I would give him ten grand. And then as the year went on, we had a conversation again, and he was like, "Doug, I'm sorry, man. This is just a ridiculous bet." And I was like, "Donnie, I agree." He's like, I'll let you off the hook, Doug. You don't have to pay me a dollar. I was like, no, you know what? Let me still give you something because I want to give you something because we made a bet. We made an agreement. It was really stupid. We both agree on that, but I still gave him something. I gave him like a hundred bucks or whatever. But like the point is like, it's all about your word and just honoring it. So I, I wanted to honor this word I had last year of being the best player I could and win a world championship. And now I'm looking at it again, the same approach this year of, well, I couldn't even play the game last year and it was super frustrating. So day one of the game this year, yeah, I want to go for master camo and get it because I love getting it. But the priority needs to be 2 p.m. Who am I scrimming against? Who is my squad? How many hours are we playing? Are we doing double, triple scrims for the first two weeks? What are we doing? We need to learn this game. We're playing in S&D tournaments. Like, this is where my mind's at, Sean. I've won launch events at the highest level. And Jetpacks, the first time I went to Jetpacks, I won the first event. Why did I win it? I put in 12-hour days. I played a lot of Search and Destroy. I watched a lot of VOD. I played a lot of team scrims and um, I just really had a desire to win. And I'd sit in private matches all night watching, you know, stuff on the map, seeing angles, you know, like you got to do your due diligence as a player. You can't just go with the motion. So finalizing my squad, being able to play with them the first day of the game, I, I need to be around players who have the drive that I have because look, I'm going to put a lot of pressure on players to put in time, you know, especially on launch of a game, your priority. Look, I'm going to work out. I'm going to spend time with my dogs, my girlfriend, all that. But 12 hours a day, it's sitting right here. And it's, all right, yeah. like, what's the maps that we're playing? What's the game modes we're playing? When's the next Search and Destroy tournament? Because Search is going to win you championships, especially when no one knows rotations and respawn. You need to be able to be confident. I, I don't think we lost a single Search at Columbus when we won Advanced Warfare. We went 5-5 five, five last map to Denial. We beat them. We played Optic in the finals. We beat them in every Search. I don't think we lost a single search. And the reason is because we played so many tournaments and that's all we cared about. Like the respawn, I remember we played Biolab Uplink versus Optic in a 2K. They blew us out. We go into the event. We beat them in game two search. We play them in Biolab Uplink game three. We blew them out because we destroyed them in the search. The momentum was real. So as a team, you need that momentum. You need that confidence. And that comes from search and destroy. So day one of the game, playing search and destroy, there's always kickoff tournaments. Play those kickoff tournaments. Play respawn. After you're done with your team scrims, grind master camo, grind whatever Warzone multiplayer, probably multiplayer for like a month because I want to yeah. get master camo. But yeah, like the, the priority, Sean, in specific is who's my team day one? We're going in private matches every day. We're learning stuff about the game on our own. We're all pubbing a lot so we can learn the guns and how they all work. And we're scrimming as much as possible. But the most important thing is private matches and search and destroy tournaments for at least the first week or two. And then obviously after that, finding out when the first variant tournament is and then setting up your team scrim schedule around that and seeing when these other teams are scrimming and getting in scrims with those guys too. Everyone needs to be sharp. And especially now, Sean, because there's so many players, there's so many, there's a vast majority of players who are going to be playing a lot, putting in eight hour days, putting in 10 hour days. You got to be sharp. So everyone on the team needs to have that mentality. And if they don't, it's going to lag and you're not going to have the success you want off the beginning of a game. Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. And um, I mean, look, with the the thing that got announced with the uh, scouting grounds or the combine that's happening in December, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for a player like yourself. You know, as long as you get out of the gates, like really hardcore, like as soon as the game comes out, you're practicing every day, like you say. I think anybody can get into the league still for the next season because it'll be easier than time. last year, Sean. It'll be so yeah, it'll definitely easy. be easier. Yeah. Players and, are going to lose their jobs within two months. I guarantee you it's going to be so easy for challenger yeah. players to get into the league, especially with these 14 day contracts. It's almost like they're asking these challenger players to take starter spots. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's definitely maybe some negatives to that too, but uh, it, it creates a great opportunity for players to prove themselves, which is something that I think we all want. I know you want it because uh, how last season went for, uh, for you as well as for a lot of players um yeah man i mean look i i, I tend to agree with a, a lot of the way that you look at the game and um you know the way that you approach competition man and i have a lot of respect for for grinding from day one man and i know you've been doing it for a lot of years but there's no reason to stop dude if you have your health with you um you know before we end today man the last thing i want to ask you is I, I get questions all the time and i'm i'm old and i'm not really talented at call of duty to be honest with you i know that might be a bit of a surprise 
<clears throat> but I get a lot of questions from people because of our challenger's success last season. Like, oh, what do I need to do? You know, talk, um, these are like players sort of in like the lower tier, like top 36-ish uh, of challengers. You know, they're always asking me like, what do I need to do to succeed this year? And so before we exit the show today, uh, the, the last thing I wanted to get from you, Doug, is if you were being asked advice from a new player who's trying to grind it out and trying to get noticed, uh, what type of advice would you give that player, man? You need to be on your A game and keep the goal in in laser focus all the time. You know, like everything I just said about starting from day one, look, I'm going to break this down for you if you're a kid watching this right now and you want to be a pro, right? Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is coming out next Friday. All right, so you're probably going to get it Thursday night. You pre-download that game Thursday night. You get on that game whenever that game launches, whether it's 8 o'clock at night, midnight, 2 a.m. Either you start that night or you go the next day because some players prefer to start at like midnight and play for like the first eight hours and they go to bed at 8 a.m. I don't agree with that. Play the game for like a couple hours the first night. You know, play some pubs for like two hours. Get get used to some of the guns. Get a good night's sleep. Whatever you got the next day. If you got a job, go to your job. After your job, if you don't have a job, if your only thing is Call of Duty, wake up the next day, go for a nice walk, stretch out, get some good food in you, and sit down for 12 hours and really just play the game. Play a lot of pubs. Find other players who want to compete just like you do and, and build a team with those guys. And then play in as many tournaments as possible. Go on all the websites. Go on UMG. Go on Game Battles. Go on, um, what's the other one? CMG. Go on all these website tournaments. See what S and anything. Play anything that you see. If there's an S and D tournament, a four, any four versus four specifically, but anything, two v two, three v three, four v four. One v one is the only one that wouldn't matter. Don't do one v ones. But find these tournaments and play in as many of them as you possibly can, and just play the game a lot. Like there's so many players. I remember last year, you guys remember Draza, right? He was a start on Optic last year in the beginning of the year. My teammate Trey picked Draza over me in the beginning of the year for no reason at all when he knew I wanted to play and he was my teammate and he only did it because he thought that I said something stupid about him on a live stream and he didn't know anything about Draza and people looked at Draza like he was some joke random player who just sucked at COD. No, he wasn't. And the reason was why is because he was playing all those tens lobbies. He was playing so many pubs. He was on a team. Even if he wasn't on the best team off the beginning of the game, he was on a team and he was playing and he wanted to win. So that ultimately ended up to him getting more and more opportunities to play with the UIUs, to play in these challenger games, to get a tryout on Optic, to join Optic, to play with Optic at Champs. Like this is the way you build your way up. It doesn't matter how people perceive you. It only matters what you do with your work ethic on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's a lot of players already out there who know this. So if you're one of those people who don't, I hope this is a reality check for you because this is a doggy dog world and it's going to be whoever's the best player. And you got to be the best by playing as many tournaments as you can really dedicating yourself to wanting to be number one and just knowing in your head like all right like what can i do better watch my vod watch the game watch other players who are good see what went wrong for me here see what these guys are doing and try to copy them and do it better than them um and that's really the way that you need to approach life in general in my opinion with anything that you're going to do wise words doug wise words from a very wise man look man i appreciate your time today dude i really do and i know we're going to be talking over the next few weeks i'm sure we're going to talk plenty of times this season um, but I just am so glad that we got to have this show together and for you to share your opinion. I think that somebody with your experience, uh, you know, maybe sometimes it's easy to forget, but I think your experience and your perspective uh, is really, really valuable to players coming up. And uh, I really appreciate your time today, man, and for sharing your story. It's awesome, man, dude. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking Call of Duty and, and I really hope somebody can learn something from this, whether you're a kid who wants to be a pro or if you want to get a real job, just Always make sure your goals are aligned and always make sure you're focused on your priorities because it's very easy to get swayed from them. It's very easy to take a phone like this and just watching YouTube videos and live streams and stupid crap on Twitter, whatever it is. Like all this stuff doesn't matter. You know, like let this be in a form of entertainment, but keep your goals in check and keep your priorities in check and, and just always focus on what's important to you. Appreciate that, man. Uh, do you have anything that you want to like plug? Are you writing a memoir or anything like that you want to talk about before we go? Yeah, um, the season's going to begin for me next Friday. So um, I'm going to hit the ground running. So if you guys want to watch me live with this process, just twitch.tv slash sensor, all my social media sensor. Um, you know, I got no restrictions on me this year, like with subliners last year. So you can see a lot of YouTube videos every day with Call of Duty uploading new Road to Damascus or Road to Dark Matter, whatever it is in the beginning of the year, uh, streaming the game, playing with my team, whoever my team is, it's still undecided. But um, just whatever team I'm playing on is going to be at the top. And I, I promise you that. So it's going to be a fun ride and we're going to be playing against a lot of guys just like us who are putting in a lot of hours and a lot of time. And, um, I'm pretty confident that my team's going to finish number one. So 
just just tune in for the ride and uh, just be excited about it. It's going to have a lot of up and downs, and I, I'm pretty confident I'll be number one at the end of the day. The chains are off, dude. I'm going to hold you to it. You don't you don't have to hold me to anything, Sean. I'm holding myself to it. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> Respect that, man. Well, thank you. And uh, that's all we got. <laughs> <laughs>